Well, hey friends, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. Today, I wanna ask you a question. When was the last time you had a dream? you a question at the beginning of this stream. When was the last time that you had a dream? Now, I'm the type of person that is like a vivid dreamer. Are you the same way? Where I have a dream and I remember it. I can remember all of the details of it. I remember exactly how it made me feel. I remember all the strange happenings in my dreams. And I even will sometimes wake up with that dream still affecting me. Where like if it was something where there was conflict, I'll be like angry still at a person, even though they you know, did something in a dream and not even real life, or I'll be nervous about something when I wake up, even though it only happened in a dream. Are you that kind of person? Well, I know I am. And I'm sure there are some of you who are in the same camp as me, that our overactive imaginations even extend into our sleep habits as well. But the question that I'm asking today, or the dreams that I'm asking you about today, aren't the dreams that are found at night. They're not the ones born out of eating that pe pepperoni pizza too late at night and having it cause all sorts of chaos in your dreams. I'm talking about the dreams that you have during the day. You know, those daydreams about what your future could look like. Whether that's for yourself, your career, your family, maybe you're looking forward to retirement and you're daydreaming about the purpose that you're gonna have once you finish uh, your work career and, and step into a new season of life. Because these dreams are one of a preferred future where we have these dreams ahead of us and we see ourselves kind of set in a preferred future. Well, for those of us who are believers in faith today, when was the last time that you had kind of a God-sized dream? where you realize that the preferred future for you isn't one that's just decided by you, but it's one that's also given to you by God. That God has a plan and a purpose for your life and that he often implants those thoughts, those ideas that maybe business or career or vocation that you have a strong sense of inclination to that you can only know or that can only be attributed to God giving that to you in your life. And that allows us to see his preferred future for your life and for mine as well. Well, Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, where there's no vision, the people perish. Friends, each of us need a preferred future for our lives. Each of us need that vision for what our future could be because without it, like the proverb says, we perish. You know, we sort of lose our sense of way. We begin to kind of degrade and fall apart when we don't have that sense of purpose and future ahead of us. But what do you do when those dreams feel threatened? Where you have this picture for yourself, where you believe that, you know, life has a meaning that's even greater than what you could accomplish on your own, and yet the circumstances all around you are contrary to that. Where you see all that's happening around you, where maybe something has happened to you, and that dream all of a sudden feels like it's not even going to happen. Like it's distant or it's disparate from your lived reality and experience today. Well, for those of us journeying in faith, I believe that we are all called by God. That those who are exploring faith will eventually receive that call to salvation. And then as we respond to that call, are called to something greater than ourselves. We're called to what Jesus has for us. It's a sense of purpose and meaning 
uh, it's something that's God-given rather than choosing for ourselves. So what do we do in that God-given dream, that purpose? Seems as if it's arriving at an expiration date that's not determined by you, but that's determined by someone or something else. What happens when our preferred future doesn't look like the way that we were expecting? Well, as we continue in our series that we've been following called Ancestry.jc, which is the lineage of Jesus in the Old Testament up to his life, we come to a man who in his teenage years had a powerful vision and dream for his life until all of it came crashing down around him. I think the story of Joseph in the Old Testament shows us what we do when it seems like our dreams are left to die. Friends, we live in a secular culture right now that's becoming more and more fatalistic as it looks upon the suffering of our world at large and ourselves personally, where the upcoming generation sees the conflict all around the world, the divisiveness that is happening amongst people, the social injustices of our world, the challenges of our climate right now, and the degradation of unity around the world, but also in our own personal systems. And when faced with that overwhelm, they decide to simply give up, to live with this sort of fatalistic worldview. But in Christian culture, we have propped up triumphalism at the expense of having a theology of suffering that is necessary in our world, where we hype up and love the glory to glory without recognizing that in between those glories are seasons often of pain, of hurt, of suffering. And while these two cultures kind of seem at opposition to each other, or seem very far on the opposite ends of the spectrum, I actually think both of them at their root have the same issue. The need or the intense desire to avoid pain and suffering. Because in a secular world that sees the challenges of the day and of the world that we live in right now, without that frame of hope that, that believers in Jesus have, Fatalism avoids suffering by just passively kind of living in this world, by passively uh, just choosing to allow the world to happen and happen as it does. But in a Christian culture, triumphalism avoids suffering by ignoring it, by only focusing on the glory to glory. And if not avoiding it totally, then minimizing it because it somehow feels anti-Christian or anti-faith to suffer, to have pain in this life. And so I think both, although seemingly at the opposite ends of the equation, are really just an avoidance of suffering, an intense desire to avoid pain in life. Where as Christians, we love to talk about the glory, but we shy away about it or ignore the conversation about suffering. And this does us a disservice because it doesn't allow us to choose how we're going to respond to suffering and pain, but instead forces us to react to it. And I think when we're forced to react to things, we don't often do it in a way that honors ourselves, but most importantly, in a way that honors God. And not only that, but I think triumphalism dismisses an essential part of the human condition and the human experience on this side of heaven. That suffering actually has its purpose in this world. That suffering has a potential to actually make the glory that we experience in this world, but will experience an even greater measure in uh, eternity with him even more vivid and even more meaningful. You know, Gordon Fee coined a term that talks about the response of believers living in sort of the radical middle of these two responses of, that a culture often has. 
And that's often the call of believers in their generation and in their time that they're here on this earth, that when we strike a middle ground, that we do so by living in that radical middle. And, and in today's world, I think as it pertains to pain and suffering, that we strike that radical middle between fatalism and just kind of being defeated and triumphalism, where all we do is focus on the glory and the victory and the hurrah. But how do we do that? I think the radical middle is incredibly difficult to live in because it requires thoughtfulness, it requires balance, it requires, um, you know, difficult responses and, and not easy solutions. But the life of Joseph, I think, shows someone who lived in that radical middle as it pertains to suffering, as it pertains to pain, when faced with the death of his dreams. And he was somebody who maintained his integrity in the process of that death. So today we're going to be jumping around Genesis a bit uh, because the story of Joseph is actually one of the largest stories of one person um, in the Old Testament. It's far reaching. And if I were to unpack all of it today, uh, we would probably be here until next week. And so we're going to start by turning to Genesis chapter 37. But before we do that, or as we do that, let's pray. God, we thank you that you are with us. God, we acknowledge that your presence is here with us right now on this stream, that in our homes and in the places that we find ourselves watching this, that you are with us. That however we find ourselves here today, that with whatever challenges we come into today with, that we know so powerfully and profoundly that you are with us. God, if there are people who don't know you yet, pray that your presence would be known, the presence that comforts, that brings peace, that brings purpose and meaning to every season that our lives face. God, we thank you that you are a God who gives us a purpose. Lord, we pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we turn to Genesis chapter 37, you may find yourself with nothing to turn with. Um, and so if you don't have a Bible, we would love to fill that need for you. If you go to myevangel.church forward slash Bible, you can find the ways to do that. If you go into your app store, uh, you can find a U version, Y-O-U version in your search bar. And as you type that, you'll find a Bible app in case you want a digital version as well. But we'd love to give you uh, that as a gift today. Now we're walking through the lineage of Jesus's family and, and the working out of God's covenant with Abraham found in Genesis chapter 12, verses two to three. And Pastor Lucas preached on this a couple of weeks ago. And so if you wanna hear that message, you can by going back in our previous videos. Um, but this is kind of the outworking of that. And this is what it says. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this is a covenant that God gave to Abraham, the promise that he would give as Abraham was called out of his place and, and God has said that his descendants will number more than the grains of the sand on the earth. And so it's gonna be this uh, expansion of God's people all across the world and their, their chief purpose is to bless those that they come into contact with. And so much of Genesis is actually God working out this covenant that he made over generations and generations and generations. And so last week we talked about one of those generations, Jacob. Uh, he was later renamed Israel and he was a man who, who wrestled with God, who walked with a limp and who called it a blessing. He kind of redefined what that, that meaning of that word is. Again, you can find that video as well on our, on our page here. And so now this week, we find ourselves meeting Jacob's sons and in particular, one named Joseph. So we're jumping in at Genesis chapter 37, verses five to 11. It says, then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. 
There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and his brothers and his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you have had? He said, am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So a couple of verses earlier in this chapter, we see that Jacob favored his son, Joseph, much to his older brother's jealousy, uh, much to his older brother's indignation. And he gave him a robe that was usually saved for royalty that we see later in history was only worn by royalty. So then Joseph has two dreams that, that show essentially the same thing. Joseph, the second youngest of 12 brothers, ruling over not just his brothers, but also his mother and his father as well. So in this particular culture that was in the Old Testament, it was based much on shame and honor, where there were some things that you do that would honor and some of your actions would bring shame. And so the goal was to honor uh, those that you were in relationship with. So in this type of culture, uh, that, this whole dream, this whole explanation of this would have been infuriating. Uh, it would have been offensive because the parents, and in particular, the father, were the ultimate authority of the family in that context. And the eldest son would have been the one who had received the most inheritance. He was kind of the prioritized one in the family. So for Joseph to receive this favoritism from, from Jacob and to even see this vision of him ruling over his family would have been extremely offensive to them. It would have been something that would have been dishonoring to their family. So the story continues with Joseph being told to go find his brothers who are kind of working out in the field. So he went to the pasture to find them, couldn't find them. They were actually even further off. And so as he begins to travel up to them, the brothers see him from far off and they decide that they're going to kill Joseph. They're going to kill him and prevent the outcome of the dream that they were so jealously consumed by. Now, if you think your uh, family is dysfunctional, well, just have to look at this one. Um, but they throw him into a pit. There's no water. Uh, they plot to take his robe, to dip it in uh, the blood of an animal and present it to his father, Jacob, as evidence that he had been eaten by an, a wild animal. And so as they just shoved him into this pit that was usually like a temporary jail, uh, he's down there, there's no water, he's living in an arid desert, and so uh, it's hot and dry. Uh, he very quickly would have died. And so there's Joseph that his brothers have just pushed them into his pit and they sit down for a meal. Again, crazy that they could just do that. And so as they sit down for a meal, uh, the brothers see some slave owners and realize that they maybe shouldn't kill him, but that they should make a profit off of their brother. And so instead, they sell Joseph into slavery to this kind of traveling caravan that had come by. And so that caravan went and he was eventually sold again, uh, still as a slave, to Potiphar, who was uh, an Egyptian uh, officer for the Pharaoh. So as Joseph is betrayed by his brothers, as he's thrown in a pit to die, as then he's sold into slavery, bound, uh, probably beaten, as he's sold again to a foreign oppressive country. I can't imagine at the forefront of Joseph's mind would have been that dream that he had just shared with his brothers. 
I can't imagine that he would have at the forefront of his mind that this is the fulfillment of that dream of what his life would look like that was from God. Have you ever been there? Where you say those words, I never thought my life would end up looking like this. It's such a challenging uh, thing to say, where these dreams that we had seem so disparate from our lived reality of right now. And so in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of maybe the pain of of um, mourning what we thought was, what do we do when our dreams look like they're dead? Well, let's pick up the story because I think it tells us a little bit of a response that we could have. Genesis 39 verses two to six. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. And he left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. What an interesting picture that we see here that, that even as a slave, God was working through Joseph. It said the Lord was with him, that he caused things to prosper amidst this challenging circumstance. Friends, sometimes we need to leave our dreams on the altar for a season so that God can do a work in us and through us that we could have never imagined in the first place. Because Joseph could have been consumed by anger. He could have been consumed by an overwhelming desire to just give up and let life happen as it was and allow that to kind of dictate his actions. He could have just simply given up, accepted what was, but instead he chose to bless in spite of the imperfect situation in front of him. That this looked far different than the dream that he had. And yet he chose instead to bless in this imperfect situation. Well, I think another person who knew uh, this type of response intimately was Viktor Frankl. And if you don't know who he is, Frankl uh, pioneered a psychotherapy many years ago called logotherapy. And the focus of this therapy is that we cannot avoid suffering, but we can choose how to cope with it, find meaning in it, and move forward from it by looking toward the future of what could be. Now, Frankl had theorized his uh, therapy on paper when World War II hit, and he was violently taken from his home and brought and forced into a concentration camp where his theory that he had written down on paper became practice and was pushed to the absolute brink. And he credits his theory that he had to his survival in the camps. And when he kind of reflects in his book on this horrible experience, this is what he says. He says, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. It is this encouragement to change himself, to change his perspective that Frankl attributes to his survival in the camps. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of the dream seemingly being taken away or killed, Joseph was challenged to not passively accept the suffering that he was in, nor was he to pretend that it wasn't happening and just only focus on the glory, but instead he chose in the midst of it to change his outlook on what purpose he could find within it. Because although everything else was taken away from Joseph, he still maintained his integrity in the midst of his suffering. Because Joseph's integrity was not tied 
to the circumstances he found himself in, but his integrity was rather tied and rooted to the unshakable, unchanging, and unwavering faithfulness of God. Friends, how easy is it to have our integrity be based in the circumstances when everything is going good? But when it all goes bad, it's so easy to compromise that. It's so easy to give up that integrity. It's so easy in the midst of suffering to let that all go when we tie it to our circumstances. But friends, when we tie the response that we have to everything that comes our way to the unshakable, unwavering, and unchanging nature of God, we find that we don't escape suffering, but we are able to survive in the midst of it. And not just survive, but maybe even find purpose in it as well. That when our integrity is placed and rooted in Christ, the unchanging one, that it means that nothing will be able to move us. That yes, it may rain. Yes, the winds may come, but that we will not be knocked over and that we will not be swayed away from what we know is right and true. And it says in Genesis 39 verse 2 that the Lord was with Joseph. Friends, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, God is with him and God is with you. That if you find yourself today in the midst of a trial and a hurt that you can't even imagine, that you are not alone, but that just like the Lord is with Joseph, God is with you too. And not only that, but Joseph determined that if his circumstances can't change, that he can choose to respond to them differently. Friends, that's not an easy task. That takes faith and that takes hope and that takes courage to do. And so I don't want to undermine the challenge that that is. But I do want to say that it is a responsibility and an option for us that inspires hope, that allows us to keep going, that finds purpose in circumstances that feel like they should simply just be our death. Friends, it can be so easy to hold so tightly to our dreams that we miss out on being faithful to what is in front of us right now. Doing so doesn't always mean that when we let go of those dreams that we can never pick them up again. But we see that with Joseph that present faithfulness is more important than the dream that he had been given. That he didn't see that dream in front of him as the end, but he saw what was in front of him as the thing that he was to be faithful to. That he maybe had to lay that down so that he could be faithful to what was in front of him right now. Because when we try to take control of the dream that God has for us, we miss out on the present purpose that God is trying to give us right now. Pastor Lisa, a couple weeks ago, shared a great message that when we hold so tightly to that promise and we aren't able to let go of it, that we begin to make an idol, we begin to make a God out of that promise rather than keeping God, the person who gives those promise, on his rightful throne. So friends, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of what seems like the death of our dreams, God still has a purpose for you right now. That right now, where you are, there's purpose for you. It's not just far off, but it's right here in front of you. Friends, the presence of suffering does not mean the absence of God's purposes. It means that God is bringing life out of something that seems like death. But, friend, but also, if our integrity is tied to the circumstances around us, we will quickly fall. But when placed in the hands of a God who is faithful always, it remains steadfast and it remains secure. Do you have hope to live in the tension of facing our suffering head on 
while still having those eyes to see what could be in the future? Do you have eyes and hope to live in the tension of seeing what's ahead, but being faithful to right now exactly what is in front of you? Because just like with Joseph, God is with you even if you're in between the glory to glory. And so when our circumstances can't change, our perspectives can. That as we remain faithful to what's in front of us, God is with us and he will continue to work out good things in us. And it was the same with Joseph. He was with Joseph. And then disaster strikes again. Genesis 39 verses 7 to 20 recounts how Potiphar's wife makes advances on Joseph and, and tries to get him to commit adultery with her. But again, Joseph maintains his integrity and he refuses those advances over and over and over again. And it lands him again in prison after Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of doing the very thing that he was just refusing. So Genesis 39 verse 9 shows Joseph's response to, po to Potiphar's wife when uh, she's trying to get him to commit adultery. He says, so how could I make, how could I do this immense evil and how could I sin against God? Again, Joseph's integrity was the thing that he stood on because he knew that obedience to God may not be easy, but it is honoring when we choose it. And so as a result, Joseph was thrown into prison. He was thrown into prison out of the result of his integral choice. Our integrity may help inoculate us against our own sin, but it certainly doesn't inoculate us from others' choices. And also, friends, it doesn't inoculate us from suffering either. And yet, Joseph chose to endure the suffering of his mistreatment rather than the fleeting pleasure of sin. And I think in the moment of suffering, we can often be uh, enticed to walk in some of those bad habits in, in a little bit of an easier way because we're looking for some type of escape. We're looking for some type of fulfillment in that suffering. And so we look for it in places that are not healthy, but Joseph knew that, his, uh, that enduring the suffering of his mistreatment was greater and more important than the fleeting pleasure of sin. But also as we look at this story, as we see his brothers, as we see Potiphar's wife, uh, their actions against him, we see that suffering isn't part of God's plan for humanity. That God is not the one who imputes that suffering on us. We see such a clear picture of this um, with Joseph. That yes, suffering may be allowed by God because we live in a broken world that happened in Genesis 3 with the fall, but it wasn't imputed by God. And I think this is a distinction that we have to make as we understand uh, our suffering in a Christian worldview. Because in times of pain, in times of suffering, it can be so easy to see this as either like a lack of faith that's causing the suffering or else uh, it can be easy to place the blame on God. And if you're looking back on the times that you've walked through pain and, and you've maybe done that, where you've like shirked that, you've maybe shaken your fist at God, you've blamed him, friends, I think it's okay. He understands. He has grace for that. He knows in the midst of pain that oftentimes we do and say things that we don't mean. And yet he offers forgiveness to us as well. He is big enough to, uh, to hold that. And so if you've done that before, I, I don't think that, you know, you need to feel uh, any particular way, but I think that God understands. He understands that challenge that we face as humans. But friends, God isn't the one who lays out suffering for us. It's a product of living in our sinful world. And while God does allow it, we see he brings purpose to it. 
And eventually, all at the end of time, he will bring a full resolution to the suffering as well. But in the midst of it, he brings purpose to it as well. And when I think of Joseph's life, I'm struck by his resilience. That he went from a betrayed brother to a slave to a prisoner. And yet again, he chose to see this as an opportunity to live out the purpose of, of God, the faithfulness of his life in the right now. That he saw every opportunity as one to do good. And I wonder if in that prison cell, Joseph wondered if his luck had maybe run out. You know, God saved me once for my brothers, but is he going to do it again here in this prison cell? And yet God did because he is faithful to us. No matter how many times you've gone around the block of suffering, God is with you as well. He will remain faithful to you as well. Genesis 39 verse 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted favor with the prison warden. We're going to skip down to verse 23. And the warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and the Lord made everything he did successful. As much as this story is one of Joseph, it's really a story about the providence of God, even at the hands of evil in this world. That no measure of evil in this world is greater than God's purposes. It's, there's no evil in this world that will supersede God's faithfulness, his provision for you, his plan for your life. Because in prison, Joseph found himself in the company of a cupbearer and a baker who had offended the Pharaoh. And as they were in prison together, these two men had dreams that they couldn't understand. And Joseph interpreted them for both of them and, and did so correctly. Um, and so the cupbearer was released and unfortunately the baker was put to death. But the cupbearer was restored to his former position. And as he is, the Pharaoh begins to have troubling dreams as well that he can't figure out, he can't understand. Nobody um, in all of Egypt could interpret them for him. And the cupbearer remembered Joseph, his, the good that he did to him in prison. And he reminds and tells the Pharaoh about this act. And so Joseph is brought from prison to the Pharaoh and interprets again his dream correctly. And so God gifted him the ability to interpret it. And the interpretation of it was that a famine would come to Egypt and all of the land after five years of prosperity and that the Pharaoh should plan for this inevitability. And so the, the Pharaoh elevates Joseph's position to his right-hand man. Uh, he sets him over the administration and the affairs of his crops and of his land and uh, organizing all of that, with Joseph, which Joseph did with excellence. And so God orchestrates this beautiful full circle moment in Joseph's life. Because in the beginning of this story, a dream led to Joseph's betrayal, his slavery, and his imprisonment. But now, a dream has led to his freedom. A dream has led to the beginning of what we will eventually see to be the purpose of God and the, the dream that God implanted in Joseph being fulfilled. But this full circle moment took 13 years to come. It took 13 years. In our, I think in our theology of suffering, we often rush the resolution without realizing that sometimes the resolution, the pain, the suffering takes longer than we think to come to the other side. And as much as that's challenging, and, and, I, and I acknowledge the challenge that that is, I think it's also a gift for us to realize that so that we can respond to it again rather than react to it when it takes longer than we expect. So I want to encourage you, don't begrudge his timing. This season that you are in may be one that you desperately want to leave, that you desperately want to escape, but God will be your sustainer through every moment of this season. And... On the other hand, it's just that. I want to remind you, it is just a season. It's just a season. 
But that's not the only full circle moment that we see in this story. God also orchestrates one with Joseph's family. Because that famine, again, didn't just hit Egypt, but it hit all the land around them. And it spread across the area. And so Joseph's family, living further away from Egypt, was affected as well. But because of Joseph's planning, Egypt actually held grain stocks in abundance during this famine. And so it was enough to uh, feed and keep safe all of the Egyptians, and they also sold it to foreign nations as well. So Joseph's family goes, travels to Egypt uh, to buy some food for their family uh, because they're starving. And they're met with Joseph, although the brothers don't recognize him. It had been 13 years. He looked probably far different than the little boy that they had shoved into that pit. And in fact, this moment was the beginning of the fulfillment of that dream that God had planted in Joseph's heart all those years ago. That his brothers would truly bow before him. And we see this in the narrative. And in this moment, Joseph could have responded with every type of punishment that he could have imagined. He held all of the power in his hands. He was the one who could choose to repay them for the evil that they had done. And yet, he chooses to do the opposite. We see this in Genesis chapter 42, verse 25, and in other spots as well. It says, Joseph then gave orders to fill their containers with grain, return each man's silver to his sack, and give them provisions for their journey. The order was carried out. So, that we, so we see that instead of punishing his brothers after 13 years of pain and hurt, he instead chooses to offer restoration towards them. Because suffering can either harden us or it can soften our hearts. It can either harden us or it can soften our hearts. And I think that's a choice by us of whether we allow it to harden us or whether we allow it to soften our hearts and be filled with a level and uh, uh, an amount of empathy and compassion that I think people who haven't walked through that type of suffering don't quite understand. That God can do that work of softening your heart today too. And so Joseph hears of his family's suffering, their current plight, and while he could have shaken his fist at them, while he could have thrown it all back in their faces, he chose instead of shaking his fist at them to extend a hand of generosity towards them. Because that dream that had been planted in Joseph's heart was planted in a heart that was filled with compassion for those who had done evil to him. That was full of a heart of integrity that understands forgiveness, that understands honoring his family, that understands uh, what God would have for him in the response of walking in this dream. Friends, we can easily take the dreams that God has for us and turn them into a self-serving type of dream. But our dreams were never meant for us anyways. They were always meant for others to serve and to bless those that we come into contact with, like that covenant that God made with Abraham. So this back and forth with Joseph's brothers continues. Uh, they go back, they run out of grain again, and so they're sent back to Egypt, kind of with their tail tucked between their legs for more uh, provision. And through a series of testing and, and seeing their genuine repentance at what the brothers had done to Joseph, he finally reveals his identity to his brothers. And in a moment of astonishment and, and maybe fear and trepidation and just shock, uh, they bring this report back to their father. And Joseph not only forgives them and restores them, but he also brings his whole family to Egypt. And he manages to convince the Pharaoh to let them resettle there though, so that they can continue to be prosperous, yes, during this famine, but also in the years to come as well. And at the end of his life, Jacob blesses his son Joseph. Uh, and we find it in this passage, which is such, a, is such a beautiful testament to Joseph's life. And it's found in Genesis 49, verses 22 to 26. 
says, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine beside a spring. Its branches climb over the wall. The archers attacked him, shot at him, and were hostile toward him. Yet his bow remained steady, and his strong arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. By the name of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, by the God of your father who helps you, and by the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of the heavens above, blessings of the deep that lies below, and blessings of the breast and the womb. The blessings of your father excel the blessings of my ancestors, and the bounty of the ancient hills. May they rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince of his brothers. On the bow, on the brow of the prince of his brothers. That that is exactly that vision that was shown all the way, uh, all along ago in that dream. And Joseph reflects on all of his pain and suffering endured over decades, those archers that attacked him in that passage. And he says, to this, he says this to the very instruments of his suffering, his brothers, in Genesis 50, verses 19 to 20. It says, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. And so this dream of Joseph kind of ruling over his family is brought to completion, but it's done in such a way that continues forward the covenant and promise given to Joseph's forefather, Abraham, to bless God's people by multiplying them to be a blessing to the world. The Theology of Work commentary says this about God. It says, in his wise power, God is capable of working with our faithfulness, mending our weakness, and forging our failures to accomplish what he himself has prepared for us who love him. And I think this is such an incredible thing because that dream of Joseph's was also actually a fulfillment of God continuing the narrative of Genesis by blessing the descendants, by fruitfully multiplying them. Because if, uh, if Joseph hadn't gone through those situations, if God hadn't redeemed the suffering and pain in his life, if God didn't choose to make something great out of something horrible of Joseph's um, imprisonment and, and mistreatment, that he never would have been elevated to that place at the Pharaoh's right-hand side, that he never would have had that grain store, that he never would have been able to bring his family, the lineage of Abraham, to thrive and prosper in that land, and that covenant by God would have died out. And yet we see that God is faithful to take horrible situations and still accomplish good in the midst of them. That he is still faithful to that covenant and he will take even the worst situation to be able to continue to accomplish what he has for us. The truth about the story of Joseph is that if God has a plan for you, he will bring it to completion, even in the midst of suffering and pain and heartbreak. That he has a way of turning awful things beautiful. It reminds me of Romans 8, 28 that says, and we know that God who causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to their, his purposes for them. Friends, at the end of the day, we can't escape suffering, but we see that we have the hope that God can bring meaning to every season in our life. And we can be sure that God can make good even out of the most impossible situations if he has promised us something. So don't begrudge the timing of that. And the season that you're in is one that may hurt, but is purposeful. And that God's timing, although hard to understand, and it's truly a mystery of, of, of his timing and what that looks like, is one that will be perfect because he is perfectly working out good things in your life. Craig Rochelle says, if it's not God's time, you can't force it. 
when it is God's time, you can't stop it. Well, friends, I think this past few years have robbed us of dreaming. I think it's robbed us of dreaming for a preferred future. I know it did for me. Where I had this future, I had this plan, I had this, these thoughts and these dreams. But then in all of the pain and the suffering and the chaos of this past few years, I stopped dreaming. Because I think I was in survival mode. Maybe I even believed that those dreams actually weren't from God. That the purpose that he had for me maybe stalled out. Because everything ahead of me seemed uncertain. Everything ahead of me seemed unclear. And I think that I lost sight of what the future could be. But what Joseph's story reminds me of is that what God implants in us cannot be spoiled by the world. That he has a plan for you and for me and for us. And so can I encourage you to step in the tension of dreaming in faith again. Dreaming in faith for you and your family's future. Some of you today that are on this stream maybe need to pick up a dream that you had left behind because of the pain of the season you were in, because it felt like that dream had died, but that God maybe still wants to accomplish in your life. And friends, I think the, the temptation as we pick up that dream again is to hold it even tighter than we had before because we're afraid of losing it again. But I want to encourage you to pick up that dream that you maybe had left behind, but hold it with loose hands. Hold it with loose hands because again, we don't want to elevate that dream and that promise to a place of idolatry where we place that over being obedient to God. And so I want us to be encouraged or maybe to walk into the tension of picking up those dreams again. It takes faith, it takes courage and hope. But friends, I hope that we see through the example of Joseph that we can do it. Joel 2 verse 28 says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Hear this, your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Friends, I think that we need to start seeing those dreams. We need to start having that vision again, that men and women here need to start dreaming again for a preferred future for them and their families and for this community and this church and for God's uh, purposes here on earth. But for some of us today, I think we need to heal from some of the hurt and the pain of the season that we are in. Whether it's been over the past years or it's a recent season now, that maybe there are those of you who are suffering. Friends, I don't have all the answers in the midst of pain and suffering. I can't explain away that, and I don't think I want to. But what I do know is that God can bring both healing and good out of that suffering. And so continue to obey him. Continue to seek him first, because you will find the purpose for what the season is right now. It may not come, you may not recognize it until you look back, but there is purpose for you in this season. That if you find yourself between glory and glory, that God is with you just as much as he is with you on the mountaintop when things look good. So friends, some of us need to walk in that healing so that we can catch a vision again of the future that God has for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have a purpose for each one of us. We thank you that you have a perfect preferred future for each one of us. And God, we thank you that we have a personal uh, desire and dream that we can have that come from you as well. And so God, I pray that you would implant your purpose within us today. 
that we would be inspired to see what that could be, that we would be inspired to dream again of what you could do in our lives and in our families and in our world. Because God, you do have a plan. You are establishing your kingdom, even when it seems like you are not, even when it seems like everything is threatening that, that your kingdom is stable and secure and your plans, our promises will happen because you are always faithful. So God, we thank you that in the midst of our pain and our suffering, that you don't just leave us to our own devices, but that you enter into those moments, that you bring purpose and meaning to them. And so God, I pray that we would have faith and hope and courage to see it. God, we love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for joining us.